0: Hello, my friend. How are you doing? All things considered, I'm holding up just fine, I would say. Um, uh, It's been a heck of a week, and it is beginning to look a lot like Christmas around here. And by that, I mean that my neighbor has put up some colorful lights, and they're very pretty. Um, Also, I'm drinking a lot of gingerbread tea Yeah, that is a thing. Um, I hope you are happy and healthy and also drinking gingerbread tea, if that happens to be a thing that you're into. (laughs) Okay, I am glad that you are here and really, really excited for this episode and thrilled to be shining a little light on your holiday season (laughs) Uh, with a very special guest. Today, I am joined by Nick Whitehouse, Lighting designer and CEO of creative design and production mega studio, Fireplay. In short, I guess I would say that Nick is the guy that makes the stars shine bright. And yes, I mean like literally all of the stars. Well, maybe I, guess I can't really say literally all of the stars, but practically all of the stars. So you're really in for a treat. I'm excited to get into it. But before we do, Let's talk wins. My win this week is that I am performing on Friday night, like this upcoming Friday night, Friday night, December 18th, 2020. And this is huge. Um, it's huge because I haven't performed in nine months since the lockdown, maybe even a little bit longer. And, um, I'm I'm dusting off the cobwebs for Pangea Live. That is the name of the show. Pangea Live is a completely virtual and very interactive show presented via Zoom. So if you haven't missed it already, head over to Pangea underscore live on Instagram. That's at P-A-N-G-E-A Pangea underscore L-I-V-E. On Instagram to learn more about the other performers for the show and to secure your tickets. So cool. So fun. Um, Oh, I also want to make sure you notice this. I am already celebrating that show as a win, even though it hasn't happened yet, because I'm creating, I'm in the process of making not one, but two solos for the show. And I'm learning so much. um, And I'm really getting back into the performance mindset which is not as easy as I thought it would be to be 100% honest with you. Um, I've already done some of the research and development for one of the pieces, which is interesting, to say the very least, on the technical front. So I'm learning a lot, I'm feeling good, and I'm celebrating that as a win, even though it hasn't happened yet. Um, I really do hope that I see you there. Friday night, December 18th. Pangea Live. Rock on. Okay, now it's your turn. What's going well in your world? What are you celebrating? Right on. Keep winning. I'm so proud of you. Okay, let's get to it, shall we? I do not want to keep you from Nick's brilliance any longer. Please enjoy this illuminating conversation. I'm sorry, I had to. Um, With lighting designer and honestly so much more, Mr. Nick Whitehouse. Are you in a soundproof chamber? Because it is super quiet.
1: (laughs) No, I live on a lake in the middle of nowhere.
0: God, that's beautiful. It really is gorgeous. I am so excited. Nick Whitehouse, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Welcome.
1: Hi, thanks for having me.
0: Oh, man. I think this might actually be our first time like sitting down for an extended conversation that is not... In catering or a hotel lobby, waiting for a runner van, or in the dark seats of an empty arena, so I'm excited. (laughs) Yeah, me too. Awesome. Okay, so it's par for the for the course on the podcast. All of my guests introduce themselves. So go ahead and um, no pressure, right? I think this is actually the hardest part of the interview. Um, But let us know what you would like us to know about you.
1: Uh, Hey. I'm Nick Whitehouse. I'm a lighting designer and creative producer for music tours, theatre, and um, I'm the one that kind of comes up with the with the stuff that you see on a stage to light these beautiful people that dance and choreograph, and <laughs> that's my thing.
0: Oh, stop
1: hiding away in the background,
0: <laughs> lurking in the shadows. Exactly. So you are the CEO of a company called Fireplay. You yep. guys have, have designed tours for Billie Eilish, JT, um, Carrie Underwood, not just, not just tours actually, festivals, shows, um, kind of the whole gamut, even TV and theater. Am I, am I leaving anything out?
1: Uh, we did a bit of architecture for a while as well and some uh, a club and uh, a traveling spectacle, pyramid thing. So yeah.
0: <gasps> okay. That I did not know even in my um, several years of working together and tiny pre-podcast deep dive on research, I I would add. Um, okay. So that's like, that's a, a, a very broad range of work that you do. Um, could you tell me a little bit about your, your small but mighty team and what exactly you do in the team?
1: So I still take the main role of kind of lighting designer, big ideas what if we did this kind of person which drives the team crazy because there are always those ideas that no one knows how to do um, those
0: are my favorite ones
1: they are the favorite ones and then our team consists of um some really cool people that work their ass off right now especially during this hard year and coming up with ideas we got a line designer we got a producer we've got a special effects designer got a couple of people that help draw and bring the magic to life for us and Finally the finance guy that tells us if we can afford to do something or not.
0: Oh really you've important. Got, you've got a finance guy.
1: I got a finance guy. I'm not very good at the numbers side of it, so he's the one that tells us if we're doing the right thing or not.
0: Hey, that's brilliant. It's good to have a team that supplements uh in areas where you may have weakness. I'm here for that. I know yeah. I see that. I see that. Okay, so um that that paints like a pretty complete picture of the who now I want to talk about the what because I don't think people fully understand and it's hard to convey in a simply audio landscape what exactly it is that you guys do and I want to emphasize this because I've been there and I've seen it and I've I, I've been goosebumped by your work and I have to I have to I'm trying to find a way to phrase it Fireplay is not about lighting a show or a site-specific mood moment. It's about blowing the pants off of people and about creating something extraordinary that will be imprinted on their eyelids forevermore. (laughs) And I'm not trying to be dramatic. I'm just trying to explain what it is that I've felt when I've seen you work. Um... So my question here is this, my first question. I see you as being somebody who is very good at restraint and balance because at the scale that you guys work, which is big pop stars, big budgets, big stadiums, it would probably be easy to overdo it and just hit everybody with all the things all at once. So I I guess what I'm wondering is what is your approach to finding that impact without going overboard?
1: Well, first, thank you. That was a great introduction. I didn't need to introduce myself earlier. <laughs> but uh, you're right. The, uh, we do cool things. And I think it's not just about lighting. I think you kind of hit the nail on the head. It's about emotion here and creating moments that people don't forget. That's what we try and do. And that's that's everything. That's the staging, the way that people move around you. That's the lights. It's the video. It's the audio. It's all of it tied together and having an influence in that and um, you're, you're also right that it's all about restraint and the guy that I learned from Brian Leach who I think you might remember from Future Sex. Yeah. His first company was called The Art of Darkness. So it kind of explains a lot. So he, he was more about the dark than the light and a lot that I learned from him was about it's something uh, is way more powerful if it's surrounded by darkness than it is if it's surrounded by light. So you know, if you look at some of the moments we've done You see that there's a single spotlight moment can be just as powerful as 2000 lights all doing the same thing. So it, it really is about understanding where to go with that. And I think it's the same in music. And I think it's the same in choreography. It's like things are more impactful if they're not surrounded by amazing things. So you have to kind of put a whole, I don't know, you have to have a whole story and an arc of a show where you start crazy maybe, and then you kind of drop down a little bit. And then if you want to do these special moments, you have to surround it in a moment that isn't quite as spectacular and they stand out.
0: It's a great point. And I think it yeah, I definitely see echoes of that sentiment in dance. I I remember my come-up as a young danceling training to do all the moves mm-hmm. and all the styles. And, you know, I loved being in motion. And it wasn't until I, man, even several years after I moved to LA and, and became a professional, that I learned the value of stillness. And mm. now I actually prefer to embed that in my work. Almost every piece that I've choreographed, and certainly my favorites to perform, ask for that stillness. Nothing at all. And also simultaneously everything. Like everything's yeah. happening inside. Nothing is happening sure. outside. That's so fun. And
1: it's a- it's the same thing in the show. you know. The lights are all repositioning, they're all figuring out what's next. And it's those things that when you do bring it down to those moments of almost black, then it kind of refreshes the palette ready for the next thing. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really important to remember that because if everything's you know, going crazy all at the same time, then that's all you ever see in the show and you get bored of it really quickly and, and turn off.
0: Mm. Okay so let's let's talk about that let's talk about going let's not talk about getting bored and turning off that's not where we're going no. at this early in the podcast we're going to we're going to structure it we'll go bored later on um but right now i want to talk about the going crazy part because we met during the future sex love show tour i was mm-hmm. assisting marty as a choreographer but he was also directing the show as well so i was helping out with i mean i was 19 years old and having meetings sitting next to you and JT people that are absolutely at the top of their game doing what they do best. And I'm trying to keep track of scrim time codes and when that goes up and what this projection is doing here. And I, re- I remember feeling way over my head, actually in a, in the podcast interview that I do with Marty, I think I talk about that day, he asked me if I needed to leave. He, he was like, do you, yes. get, do you need to go get it together? But there's one day I'm thinking about in particular um, that that there was a song or an interlude, a set of songs that had like hundreds of cues in it. So mm. I would love to hear because. JT loves darkness I think he loves a mood but he also loves lasers and he also loves extravagance and he knows how to dial things up so I would love to hear about like the most challenging as far as programming numbers that you've ever created that doesn't necessarily mean they're most dense I guess but like how many cues in one in one set and what makes it technically hard
1: It's just the, so the number of cues you kind of get depends on what you want it to do. So a cue could even be a moving light. It could be, it doesn't have to be a set number of things. It doesn't have to be a set, um, like every time a light moves, it's a cue. Mm -hmm. So what makes the JT stuff particularly different and really cool, in my opinion, is nothing ever repeats itself. So, you know, with a lot of artists, they'll play this verse, chorus, verse, chorus, and it's all the same. And I think, in a JT show, you'll never have a verse that's the same as the verse that's come before it. There's always something different in there. So that's what adds to a lot of cues. And I think, you know, I know for a fact, Future Sex was the intro that you're talking about where we had audio and lights moving around the whole room. I think before he even came on stage, there was a thousand cues that had happened. Yeah. When we did that anti-start where the band just started playing and no one realized that we were going into the show.
0: Yes. Oh. That was where it was. What a stellar moment. <laughs> I remember riding to the show in a laundry bin with Ava Bernstein. She and I were uh, carpool partners um, because the show was in the round and there's yep. no way to get to the stage without being seen unless you're there before they let the audience in, which is several hours early, or you you get snuck there. And I remember riding there in darkness in a laundry bin and getting underneath the stage just as that was happening. Um, yeah. Oh, that's so much fun, I'm having a Which great flashback. Cool.
1: But I think the the most complicated song, uh, there's been a couple, but I think from 2020, Only When I Walk Away was pretty crazy. It was all the lasers, it was everything. It was so dark and moody, but there were so many cues in that song. And then uh, Man of the Woods, it was the mic stand dance.
0: I don't know anything about that mic stand. I'm sworn to see. <laughs> <laughs> um, so if you have not seen the Man of the Woods tour, which I am so sorry if you have not, because it was so much fun. Um, what Nick is talking about is a, a JT solo moment that features a dancing mic stand that just so happens to have been designed and built by my husband, Daniel Reitz, over at Vice Chief. And the, the mic stand itself took a lot of research and development in terms of the build and then choreography had its own research and development period to learn how to, you know, highlight its utility in the coolest possible way. Um, yep. Marty Marty Kadelka, with the help of Ivan Kumaev, they absolutely crushed it. And JT is so brave in utilizing um, a prop element that like that, where there's no hiding, like there's no, oh, no, if you mess up, you just, you look kind of
1: silly. If you so, mess up, you probably have no teeth.
0: Yeah, that, it's dangerous. Oh, There's actually it's a risk. It's pretty dangerous, yeah.
1: <laughs> I tried it once and that was it. I was like, nope.
0: <laughs> oh, oh, it looks way easier than it is for sure. Um, but the job of lighting that moment, or is it still okay to say lighting, even lasering yep. and lighting, they're the same, mm-hmm. um, must have been particularly challenging because the mic stand itself is this narrow thing. It's not like lighting a, a projection, a, a wall or a backdrop or an atmosphere it's this very thin, you know, stand yeah. that we ultimately decided to um, uh, wrap in some retro-reflective. Um, glow orange,
1: I think. in yeah. other the woods. danger yeah. orange, safety orange. That Safety was
0: it. orange, there it is. Um, to make it more visible. But what was your process in lighting that moment? Did you start big and, and take away or did you start really basic and see what you wanted to add that would kind of flatter that moment?
1: So it was actually kind of cool because I worked with a laser programmer, Kelly Stixel, who's part of our team who designed it. Shout out
0: Kelly, laser Kelly! It's good to have a laser guy. You gotta have it is.
1: And then Grant Sellers, who did the programming of that laser thing, excelled himself in that moment. And he together we sat there. I think it took two full nights just Mm -hmm. for that thirty seconds solo both of us going backwards and forwards and then JT sat with us for a couple of hours and he would watch it and he'd be like, no, I need to add some more sounds here or do this so that we could hit it with the lights Uh and it was a really cool collaborative process because then you know, the next day we show it to Marty and Ivan and they're like, well, what if we did this too, so I think it was probably a full week of development and every time you you guys got onto the mic to try it with JT, it would be, well, we could just do an extra bit here or what if we did this and this could really work and, you know, I think a lot of people don't realize how much goes into everyone working together to create the moments that stand out because that really was maybe 10 people just flat out working to to make that whole thing work and then you know adam blackstone would come in and add the music bits and and then jt would come in and add a few more music bits and send it back to adam so we all really did work on that thing and i think there was probably a couple of thousand cues in that 30 seconds between all the departments and no one really noticed because what we made yeah. happen is the star of the show was JT. Mm-hmm. And that's, if we do our job right, that's what it is.
0: You're absolutely right. And he owned it. Oh, for sure. That's, to me, that number is, is like, it's not, I I don't, I don't think it's right to say that it's the heart of the show because it doesn't like pulse, it doesn't beat, it's like searing. It spears me up against the wall. It like, it it goes straight through my heart. I love that part of the show. It's so effective it's iconic that's how I will remember that show for sure
1: um it's, you know it, it's one of those things where we've done something similar a couple of times before so how do we do it in a completely different way and that was it you know it, it was just one night playing with it and we're going to put the mics down in the middle of this stage all right cool how do we make this stage look really cool and we started playing around with lasers and bouncing them off the stage and then adding the light bits to it and we all of a sudden we were like yeah that's how we're going to do it we started building on it
0: Yes. Um, okay. So you talked a little bit about the the, the nights. Obviously, you need a, a to be as close to show mode as possible. It, it has to be completely dark, um, which usually means you wind up working nights when there's nobody else in the venue. No band needs to be seeing their instruments. No dancers need to be seeing their feet. Um, so you guys work at night. You're completely nocturnal how does that impact your life in the long run when you like does that just become
1: your mode you get used to it and it's actually quite nice it gets to you know nine ten o'clock at night in the in the venue and everyone leaves and you settle down with a you know a cold beer and (laughs) some loud music and and just get creative nice and i kind (sighs) of i enjoy it I, i think that that's the moment where you kind of leave everything else alone and all the business and all the emails and all that kind of thing. And everyone's finished for the day. So it's, you know, it's just you and the, and the big lighting rig and the lasers and all those little toys.
0: Oh my gosh. That's a huge advantage. I just realized. Thank you for saying that. Zero distractions. Everybody's asleep.
1: Zero distractions.
0: Okay. I'm pivoting. I'm pivoting. I'm going to make a move. for. A new- and it's really
1: good because, you know, I think there's two, when you're you, in charge of a company and you're, you're running a company, you can either be business or creative and it's really hard to switch into that full creative mode. So during the day, a lot of the times you're trying to figure out something and you're like, yeah, it's just not happening. And then an hour into programming with no distractions and all of a sudden the ideas are everywhere. So it's, you've just got to make time to switch. And it just so happens that that seems to be like 10 p.m. till 3 a.m.
0: My friends, I had to jump out here for a second, because our conversation reminded me of something really important that I wanted to tell you about. I, long story short, recently crashed a Zoom call, a very important and very exclusive Zoom call that I may or may not tell you more about later. (laughs) We'll see. Now, the guest speaker of said Zoom call was a hero of mine, a man, nay, a legend by the name of Bill Irwin. Bill is an actor and a clown and many, many things, um, including philosopher, apparently. (laughs) And on the subject of art, business, and um, the art of being a creative business, he said something that really um, caught my ear. And uh, I had to take a second to jot it down. I want to tell you what he said now. He said... If you become a bureaucrat in the pursuit of your own artistic vision, then you may become a successful business, but you won't have the benefit of an artist's vision. Now, I wouldn't go as far as to say that artists can't be business people, or vice versa. But I do think it's more complicated than simply changing hats, right? Like, this is my business hat. This is my creative hat. This is my performance hat, you know? So I'll say it one more time. If you become a bureaucrat in pursuit of your own artistic vision, you may become a successful business, but you won't have the benefit of an artist's vision. I just thought that maybe... You needed to hear that because I know I sure did. Okay, let's jump back in with Nick and hear a little bit more about his art of being a creative business. So, could you talk a little bit about how you balance your creative vision and business? How do you decide what projects you'll work on and which you won't? How do you know if it's if you've taken on too much? Um, what does your future of Fireplay look like? Is that something you're actively pursuing all the time?
1: It is. And I, I think one of the, maybe the only good thing of 2020 was, to, was that everything did stop. And I, I, I look back on it. And one of the things that I was looking back on is how do we improve and how do we come out of this better? And I think what was happening in the entire music industry was everyone was taking on too much work and, we were losing some of the creativity and, I think the quality. We were, and the quality. And I think we were kind of doing some cookie cutter shows where you just go in there and because you were still thinking about the last one or the next one, elements of all those shows were creeping into the same ones. So I think what we've decided moving forwards is to take less, but better. So, you know, maybe instead of doing five country artists next year, we'll do three or something like that and mm-hmm. two big pop shows instead of four mm-hmm. so that we have the time to concentrate and, and maybe not grow too big we have a great pool of freelancers that come in and, and work when we need to grow bigger but i think the reason people hire is fireplay is to get that next level and you need to have the time to be creative to get that next level because so if you're always worrying about where the next paycheck is going to come from to pay the staff or, or something like that you tend to take on too much work mm-hmm. and none of it gets done to the to the level that you really want to. want so I think our future is definitely gonna be that. It's, we've got time to have a step back. We've got a great team in place right now. So I think moving forwards, we'll be pretty picky about the shows we take on because I think that's what we're known for is is the particular, just like you said, the moments that we create. And if we have the opportunity to create those moments, we shouldn't kind of lose that by taking on too much, you know, so.
0: Ah, quality, quality, not quantity. I appreciate exactly.
1: That. And it, you need the downtown in between you it's
0: know? true it's true um and you're right when it comes to a silver lining I think that perspective is, is something that 2020 has brought for a lot of us and I, I appreciate it so much um I guess I guess let's let's keep going forward then I, I'm curious about the early days but right now let's talk future and next I have to know everything that you are allowed to tell me about the show that you did for Metallica that involved a virtual audience. Um, I haven't seen it preface, so I, I i don't know what I'm talking about, but I do know that the band was able to see virtually in a very artful designed way and deliberate um, faces of audience members, but those pixels also could be purpose for creating the atmosphere that the audience sees, so it's not like a, a one-way mirror or a, a fold-up laptop screen where I see you and only you forever. But the pixels that were you could become into the background for someone else. Do I have that about right? Is that
1: yeah? Okay, I think you do. So okay. I, I can I can start at the beginning of this story. So back in March, one of our clients came to us and said, "I would like to perform in front of a choir." But the choir members are going to be from all over the country because I don't want to put them together. So we started doing research into all the different platforms, even like the Zooms or the Teams. Nothing really worked because nothing comes together in the right way. And especially if you're going to put 100 people on there to do a choir, the whole thing falls to pieces. So we got we kind of got this whole thing put together. We figured out how to do it. We found the right companies that could deliver it. And then the artist decided that he didn't want to do it. So we moved on. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, we were trying to, um, you know, at Fireplay, we are trying to think, how do we keep artists connected with fans during this time? Because we're seeing the trend of people doing live streams from bedrooms and like living rooms and nothing really elevated. (laughs) Exactly. And I think it was getting pretty stale. And it was losing a bit of star quality, too, because people like, oh, that's just an average person.
0: Uh-huh, you know? careful, careful, and <laughs> for sure.
1: So we, over the last six months, we've been developing, it's, um, we use software from Claire, who's a big audio company. Um, we decided to go with Claire because all the people that run this thing are the out-of-road crew, so they keep getting trained. So for us, instead of just going to another technology company, for us, it, this is really good. And PRG came on board as well who same thing, you know, all the video guys that run this thing or all the people that would have been on the big tours. So hopefully in doing this, we're putting people back to work as well as creating cool moments. And essentially Metallica was uh, up to, we had 4,000 people sat there watching online and 500 people on four screens that surrounded them at any one time. And between songs, we could rotate them around. So everyone got at least one or two times on the wall. And what makes it different from the rest of the software is we can control everything to do with it. So it it was all branded to look like a Metallica thing. (laughs) Um, it It was all fitted into the backdrop. But even better than that, instead of just one audio feed from whoever's talking, there's a guy that mixes it. So in between the songs, we got real applause and clapping and people screaming out and shouting. And it felt like we were almost in a concert.
0: That is the part that that feels so so lacking for me. Uh, yeah. In addition to the actual moving bodies, which dancer obviously that's a big one for me. But that is it is like this silent void on the other end. That's such a buzzkill. <gasps> wow, how cool!
1: And even better, which is um, there were, there was two cool stories. But even better, in between the uh, the songs, the band could just pick on random people from the wall and have a one on one conversation like we're having now.
0: Okay, now that sounds like a VIP experience. That sounds like better than a live show. And that's what I've been secretly hoping we could find during this time is like, how do we bank on what's super cool about this what, and, and, the, and the parts that couldn't happen live?
1: And I don't. There was a post that I saw on Metallica's social media where a fan of theirs bought a ticket and was on the wall and got to talk to them. And um, she suffers from ME, so mm-hmm. hasn't been able to attend a live show. And her post was just simply, thank you for making me feel human for a night. And we were all just like, oh my God. (laughs) Puddle on the floor,
0: puddle on the floor.
1: But that's a a great, you know, we we built a technology now that didn't exist in March to the level. And I think it will be needed moving forwards too. Especially as soon as we start touring again into arenas and we can only half fill them. Right. If we can do a virtual show as well, so the people in the local area that can't buy a ticket can buy the stream, and be part of a crowd that we integrate into the set somehow, mm-hmm. then we can actually afford to tour again. Rather than saying, "Hey, we can't sell enough tickets, so it doesn't make right. sense to tour because we're all going to lose money." Or I'll do it for free, and no one wants to do that. Right. We have to survive.
0: Right. That that sort of that reminds me of something that I've noticed in the education realm is this sort of leveling of the playing fields in terms of training and accessibility. Most of the people, like high-performing people, the Marty Kadelkas of the world, the you know principal ballerinas at ABT, because they're not performing, they're teaching. And even if you don't live in LA or New York or aren't able to buy a plane ticket to, to one of those places, you can be training with those people right now. So it's a, it's a really interesting and i think appropriate timing to um to exercise some inclusivity and and make things that used to be very exclusive and only come around every once in a while available to a lot of people um the once in a while part is what we're working on right how long did it take you guys to create the the back end for that show
1: six months yeah okay yeah
0: so you're but, not going to yeah. be cranking those out like. Uh... Well, no.
1: Now we've now it's set up, so yeah, we can we can. Oh great! We're, we're oh. talking to a few different people about some more, so that's great.
0: Nice. That's my favorite. That type of work is the work that you do once, and then it continues working for you.
1: <laughs> yeah, though Yeah, you know, there was a lot of technical parts that needed to come together to make it work right, because most of the streams that you see, mm-hmm. they've got a 25 second to 45 second delay just because of the way that they're streamed around the world and that doesn't work if you need instant reaction. Uh -uh. So we're currently able to get to anywhere in the world and back again under a second, which is cool. Oh
0: my gosh, that's insane. Congratulations, that's massive. Um, Is there a way for us people to see that show?
1: Yeah, there's a link actually to the first 10 minutes.
0: Oh, well, you don't say. Uh, you all, lucky listeners, will be able to find that link in the show notes for this episode. Don't miss it. I ca- I'm i doing that like immediately. Um, okay, so that's, that's future look. This is exciting. I'm digging it. I would love now to take a look at the rear view for a quick second. Um, mm-hmm. I'm so curious about some of the early defining moments in your career because I know a lot of my listeners are people that are navigating the early steps or navigating a transition in their careers maybe they've been dancing for a long time becoming a choreographer maybe they're they've been choreographing for a long time and they're becoming creative directors and so on and so forth so uh could you speak a little bit about those those key early moments for you big decisions or otherwise defining moments
1: Do we- In the world that I came from there was a lot of being in the right place at the right time and the thing I think that defined it was instead of worrying about saying yes to some of those opportunities I just did it and figured out how to do it So I think you know straight out of school I knew I wanted to do lighting or sound or something backstage so I moved to London I would volunteer to do anything I worked in all the little like uh, rock venues that would have 200, 300 people a night and just, you know, for hardly any money, not really anything, just trying to get the experience I could. Mm-hmm. And it, one day in one of those venues, which was a, a massive abandoned theater that they used to do a church in every week, and that was about it. And this guy, Brian Leach, walked in and he came to put a new lighting rig in and asked if I wanted to help him. I did. A week later, he called me and he said, I've got one of my uh, house LDs at the Forum in London quit. Can you be here in an hour? And I'm like, oh, okay.
0: You were like, I'm already here, actually. I'm right outside.
1: <laughs> Ready to go. I it wasn't, I got there. <laughs> the, the old lighting designer handed me a harness and said, here you go. And I was like, what's that for? And he's like, to climb up there to regel the rib, and then got in his car and left. <laughs> ah, so that was it. That was my first lighting designer gig.
0: That is a hard start. <laughs>
1: It was. It was for a band called Madness. I don't know if you know Madness, but it was a it was an old rig of park hands and I had to climb up there with these coloured sheets of paper, and for two hours I hang upside down trying to redo this thing and focus it. And for an LD that was getting annoyed because he was like, "You aren't very good." I'm like, "This is the first time I've ever even looked at this thing." So,
0: <laughs> so no wonder I'm not that good. Oh my gosh, that that's a good one. I, uh,
1: I worked there for two years. Awesome.
0: And by the time you left, did you feel like the, like like a chief? You felt like, oh yeah, this is my realm?
1: Yeah, I think it was easy because it was a house gig. So everything was already there. Uh-huh. What was great about that place is it was probably one of the two venues in London where all the acts came through. So anyone that was doing really good came through there. Um, we actually did a JT show there, The Forum in London. I don't think, don't know but, if you remember what year? that. It was Would one it- of the club shows on 2020.
0: Well. oh dang wow
1: which was cool oh, okay. going back there and seeing the, some of the guys that were still there
0: oh my gosh yeah. all those years later whoa um okay so I guess if I had to think of a career defining moment I get a lot of firsts right like the first time you put a harness on and climb up the rig sure the first time you um you know for me the first time I booked a tour and stepped on a tour bus and was like, wait, how many people sleep here? (laughs) Yeah. Um, I yeah, I think for me that my first world tour, Future Sex, it taught me a lot about the about how many people it takes to make something like that go. And you spoke a little bit to the collaboration. Um, and that was a huge takeaway for me, but I also learned a lot about the relationship between dancer and artist and dancer. And audience. And I think that tour taught me how to be aware of how many different performance levels there are instead of just execute steps, execute steps. It's like, relate to this person in this way, relate to the JT person in this way, relate to the music in this way, and all the different ways that you can exist on a stage. Um, I'm curious, just on a kind of an artful conversation way, I see the role of a dancer on a big pop tour like that to be somewhat of a portal to the artist. Like most of the people that come watch JT perform, they are standing five feet away from him. He's a human, they're a human, but they look at him like he's a god and he's just big and perfect and great. But they look at a dancer like, oh man, oh, that's so cool. Like, oh, if only I could. So I, I sort of see the dancer as being this like halfway person to the artist that makes the artist a little bit more accessible um that makes them think oh like I could open his jacket and pull the silk out I could yeah. dust his shoulder off and and I I love that so much about about that part of what I do um, I guess I'm curious about that was a story how about that um, I guess I'm curious about what you see lighting what is the role that lighting plays in a pop tour like that
1: so I think it's it's different to the dancer side so for the lighting what we do with lighting is we're trying to create the emotion we're trying to give drama and mm-hmm. kind of turn the music that's being created into something visual so mm-hmm. that's how I see how lighting works which is something that I think I do a little bit differently to a lot of people some people will look at lighting as the way to just you know create a mood for the scene. Mine's more about how do you interpret the music into, into visuals without overdoing it. Mm-hmm. So that's that's where I kind of see it. And it is a style and it's definitely a style that got JT's attention because that's why he hired me. He saw it, he said, I want that. Mm-hmm. And even his comment when he created 2020 was, look, I've, I've done an album for you. It's music you can see. And I'm like, great. And it was, you know, that that was a crazy it light show and videos.
0: is. Perfect in my eyes. I absolutely love that show. And I'm honored to have been a part of it. And side note, curious about this. Rest his soul, Jonathan Demi crushed capturing that show for film. I can't recall. And it's very possible that I'm biased. (laughs) Probable that I am biased. But I can't think of a more beautiful, elegant, dramatic sexy bright but also really dark and and super but also singular and kind of personal show I just can't name one I it's it's perfect in my eyes I I love it how do you feel about the way it translated for film
1: I think it was really good and what I think was the best bit Jonathan did was he caught the relationship of you guys on stage Mm -hmm. and that's what no one in the, it, he said when I in those first meetings that that's the bit he wanted to bring because everyone can see it sat in an arena and understand it. He wanted to, to deliver something that wasn't possible for sitting in a seat in the house. Mm-hmm. And I think he delivered that perfectly.
0: Oh yeah, he puts the viewer on stage. They're yep. with us. It is, a, it's, it's JT and the Tennessee kids and you. Like you are a Tennessee kid. That's how it feels. You're so right.
1: And just, awesome. you, know, you know, just something that came into my mind as well is you were talking about the relationship of a dancer to to jt and that's what you think it brings Mm -hmm. i had a really interesting conversation a week ago about things going digital and everything just you know the new trend of xr and things like everything being fake and created around an artist Mm -hmm. and i don't think it's as special i think you know we're talking about immersive environments and that's what dancers and band they bring it's it's part of the you've got to be there in in and witness it to understand it but it brings that special thing that you can't recreate digitally or you can't do with technology it's performance and it's it's that amazing thing that surrounds people with performance and especially on the the in the round shows that we were doing it was everywhere mm-hmm. and i think it, there were moments where it was just as important to see what you guys were doing as, as what jt were doing at the other side of the stage it all told the story and it all kind of linked together yeah but i think that's what made all those moments really special, which Jonathan caught right there is he got those moments. He saw the interaction between you guys and the band and, mm-hmm. uh, and just how that all worked, which is, is really cool because no one gets to see that. And they don't, I think some people might just say you get on stage and you do the steps, but it's not. No, it's not That's every sh- night. Every night is a, an experience for everyone.
0: Yeah, that show is different. It's so good. Yeah. Ah, okay. This one's tough. I I don't want to put you in a difficult situation, but I'm going to um sort of like asking a parent to pick a favorite child. Um I don't want you to tell me your favorite person to work for or your favorite thing that you've done, but what are the outstanding shows when you when you look back at your chronology, what really stands out?
1: I I've got a few which is which is good. Um <laughs> You know, moving on from where I was in, in London, that the my first big tour was at Coldplay. That was my first world tour and it lasted six years, which was pretty crazy.
0: Okay, welcome to touring life. You have yeah. no other life, right?
1: Yeah. Uh, so that show, the, the show that we finished there, with the Twisted Logic tour, that was definitely a favorite. And it's what led to everything else. Um, obviously all three of the JT shows because we get to be as creative as we possibly can imagine, and, it, and most of the time, we get everything that we've tried to put in there, which is awesome. Um, there's a Kylie Minogue show that we did called Aphrodite, which um,
0: we need to talk about because one of my dearest friends is Tony Testa, who uh, we grew up together. We're from Colorado. Um, that's uh, yeah, that's a that's a bestie for life, and he was associate director on the show in choreography. Um, Okay. Tell me more about Kylie. What was, was it technically challenging or uh, fulfilling in the same type of creative permission type of ways or what was going on there?
1: It was one of those shows where Will, Tony, and Kylie came to us and said, I don't think anyone else can pull this off.
0: Aha. And they were
1: right. We want to build ancient, ancient Greece and we want a swimming pool and we want fountains in the stage. Yeah. And we got it. <laughs> and the front of the stage lifted up to do a floor dance on a big tilt a whirl. There was a ten-foot gold Pegasus. I, it was it was full on.
0: That is full on. I've seen only parts of that show. I never got to see it live, but a handful of the dancers um have been guests. Actually, just a few weeks ago, Martha Nichols was a yeah. guest. Um, I, I've got to have Tony on the podcast. Uh, what a small, small world it, it is indeed. Yeah. So you created a world, you created this whole other environment that must shift and morph throughout the show and becomes many different things. Yep. Um, And is there ever, I guess here's a question I hadn't thought of. You mentioned the, the chemistry between dancers and band in a JT show. Is part of what makes 153 shows feel like 12 shows. Like there's an element of freestyle that Marty has built into the choreography. There's an element of spontaneity when you have this relationship between the band, but you're running the board of a show like that, which is exciting and elaborate and cool, yes. But in 200 shows or 150 shows, or how I'm, I'm Kylie was on the road for some time. Do you ever burn out from running the same cues? Is there still a level of spontaneity or a relationship that that still stokes you up at the 150th show the same way that you were stoked up
1: on the first? Yeah, and it is different because every venue we move to, we have to make sure it looks the same, and that's the challenge. Right. So
0: Right. The Pegasus you know, doesn't change, but everything
1: else does. Where the lights are hung, you know, where they're focused. Every day they move around in the truck. So you've got to go through all of them and make sure that everything you intended to happen in the show actually happens like you wanted it to. And I think that's the bigger challenge because when, when you get to the end of it, you're like, oh, yeah, we did that. It was perfect. And there is still, you know, when you like the crowd or when you might do some things, it does change slightly from show to show. And we have to be flexible enough to allow anything to happen too. So... You know, if there's a moment that you want to play another verse you never know, like in some of those acoustic things, JT could want to do whatever he wants and we have to be at to follow. So we have all that built in there and that's part of the excitement, isn't it? See what happens each night yes. and how the audience reacts. And if the audience quiet, you might not light them up as much as if they're going crazy and everyone wants to see it. So all of those little things do play into what we do every day. I, I think the same thing though, 130 shows can feel like 12.
0: Yeah, awesome. That's really inspiring and refreshing to hear. And I hope that um, everybody listening can take that away. There is a lot of automation these days in the shows that we do, but that does not mean that there isn't a live human decision making it all run. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that's so special,
1: that's so magical. Yeah, and it's what I think, sometimes you see some shows that are quite clinical, Mm-hmm. And I think nothing's left to the imagination. It's the same show no matter what every night. And I think the human touch is what takes it to that next level is someone actually sat there making the conscious decision to, to actually play that tonight or not as bright or not as loud or not as much where, where the camera focuses or something like that. Mm-hmm. That's what I enjoy most. And I think that's all the people that work in, in my world and that I like to work with, they all approach it the same way. It's, this is, we do this because we love it. We don't do it because it's a job.
0: That lights me up. Oh, no pun intended.
1: Yes. Um,
0: okay, so final question, and I guess this is – it it might be a little cliche to ask, but if there is somebody out there who's listening and is inspired to – not all of my listeners are dancers. Shout out, Mom. Um, but if somebody out there was listening and thought, I think I might want to take, you know, the way I change music into moves – and I wa- might want to change music into mood with light. Mm-hmm. Where do they start? How how does that journey for someone begin?
1: I, I think it's different from where, where you are, but there are plenty of courses now that teach it. They didn't used to be. Um, so that's a, it's a good starting point to see if you like it, but the best way to do this is just to get on a tour or actually try something. Reach out to someone you know. If you've been on a show with that has a lighting designer, give them a call and say, Hey, any chance I can come and watch a programming session or be part of something or and that's how you, you'll really learn is like seeing people do what they do and yes. understanding why they made that decision rather than the other hundred decisions that could have happened at that time.
0: Mm. I appreciate that. Get in and do the work or like jump on to a project that's happening. And learn as much as you can
1: yeah and what what what's actually important too is as yes the ultimate goal is if you want to be a lighting designer is be a lighting designer but you should also take the time to learn all the other roles that lead up to lighting designer like the crew chief the rigger the the yeah. light you know the people that fix the lights because we're talking about each one of those lights having so much technology in it that when yeah. there were points in the development of them that they had like Hubble Space Telescope engineers working on the optics and we're going, whoa, this is complicated. So if you understand how it works internally and what it takes to move the colors around and things like that, then you understand what it can look like when you're programming it. And the same for the crew. Like I would never ask someone to go and climb up all the way to the top of that thing, 10 minutes before a show, because one of the lights isn't working. I'll just, you know, figure out how to make it look okay without the light because yes. that's not something you ask some, someone to do, because I wouldn't want someone to ask me to do it.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's huge. That's hugely important, like a base understanding of the technology and the moving parts involved in doing this creative thing. Mm-hmm. Um, that is a stark, That answer is in stark contrast, so I have to bring it up to a question that I heard recently. I was listening to... Um, I don't remember what the podcast is called. Forgive me. I'll put it in the show notes. But Roger Deakins has a podcast now. Um, Famous director of photography. If you don't know who Roger Deakins is, and uh, he's asked, you know, if somebody wants to become a DP, like, what do you recommend that they do? How do they start? Blah blah blah. blah. And (laughs) I'm I'm gonna like really boil down his answer. His answer, more or less, was like, go fishing. Um, like, watch, just start observing how light works in the real world. Watch what happens to light on water and how does that make you feel? How do your eyes respond to something that's moving versus something that's still? How do you, you know, what do clouds do to light? What does the color of your skin look like when the clouds are this way? Blah, 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 blah. And I, I did, I thought that that was very poetic and beautiful. But really, truly, if you want to be a lighting designer don't go fishing (laughs) like go put your hands on some lights go try out try some different things out I'm not saying that Roger Deakins is wrong by any means but um I do really love and encourage people this the idea of a hands-on application um of a new skill try it yeah
1: you might create something that we haven't thought of, right?
0: Yeah, I guess I guess do both, bring some lights out on your fishing boat with you and see how that works out. But it's probably a combination of both, right? But I think that one of the things I love about the way JT operates and Kylie also actually um and this speaks to one of Tony Testa's strengths is like a real life thing dialed up mm-hmm. versus going like full out crazy spectacle 150 dancers cg this projection mapping that blobby blue this it's like there's something real and relatable at the core of of jt's work and his shows um that's just relatable enough that you could feel like ooh, this is mine like i fit in this world um but that's spectacular enough that makes you like never ever forget that night
1: it's pretty simple for both of those two. They care. They care they about care. They care about what the show is. They care about the audience experience. They care about the people on stage with them. They, yes. they, I think they're there to give 150% every night and we're there to do the same. So that's why the show is so good.
0: Oh my God. Hands down. I'll tell, I this is what I say to people all the time. There's this, like, there's a concept that, um, background dancers and background vocalists in the band are there like supporting talent like there to help lift the artist. and i'm like y'all don't understand he was lifting all of us every single night i just i and think it, the world of that guy
1: yeah and i you know brian vaughn who did man of the woods he was out there as the lighting director on that tour mm-hmm. he, a young kid we gave him a chance on that tour and he was just like is there any advice and i'm like yeah don't fuck up
0: <laughs> right because because the guy is he he sees everything he knows everything he and he absolutely knows what he likes and wasn't when he doesn't like it's it's remarkable like j t knows your cues and he knows mine and he yep. knows his and he knows yep. adams and he you know it's the capacity can only that i think there is a gift there, but that can only manifest every single day day after day if you care and exactly. that's that's why it's there because you're, you're so right he cares so much
1: yeah I've I've done a show where an incredible artist has walked onto stage but they don't care mm-hmm. so the show has been it's been great like you said a big spectacle mm-hmm. but it's missing that that moment that people walk out of that show going that was just the best thing I've ever seen right. and it's not because of the lights or the video or the dancers or the band or anything like that it all starts with that talent caring and then it trickles down to everyone everyone gives a little bit more and everyone's a bit more creative and everyone's pushed outside their comfort zone a little bit Uh and i think all of that comes together to to be like he he knows 100 percent what he's doing he knows how much he's pushing everyone yes and he knows that we're we're none of us are going to fail because that's not an option he's not going to fail so we're not going to fail and we're not going to mess up
0: no uh, this reminds me of one of my favorite quotes by my favorite artist, Tom Sachs. The 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 phrase is, it will not fail because of me. And I've thought about committing this to permanence on my body in the form of a tattoo. <laughs> it will not fail because of me, which actually has this beautiful double meaning, right? It mm-hmm. will not fail because uh, because I made it, and it will not fail because of me. But also, I won't make it go wrong. And I, exactly. I, I love this sentiment. I think it's a... Uh, a good banner to, to live behind. Um, all right. Well, I'm full of nostalgia. I'm full of excitement for future opportunities and potential ways of using technology and relating to each other and moving on forward after, after the pandemic, which just doesn't seem to stop. (laughs) Um, and I'm so grateful to know you as a, as a key player in that moving forward. Um, I just think the world of you guys and everything that you do and the fact that you care and you, and you know you've got a keen antenna up to, um, to the people who care and the people that mm-hmm. are going to be able to deliver something truly remarkable, um, that's, that's your mission. And so that's, that's what you're doing.
1: <laughs> mission to work with them, right? the people that care
0: yes and man i think yeah if anything this moment has reminded people of what they care about right distance makes the heart grow fonder i usually laugh at that statement i'm like oh you obviously have not had a long distance relationship (laughs) um distance is hard but there is this idea of you don't know what you have until it's gone and I, i think we're all feeling that
1: feeling that right now i think so i think i so many people name live music is one of the things they miss the most, but we've got to find a way to bring it back safely sooner rather than later.
0: On it, on it and at your service. (laughs) Uh, Thank you, Nick, so much for being here. I really appreciate it. It's always a joy to talk to you. And it's actually a super joy to talk to you for this length of time. Usually we're like, (laughs) quick notes, quick notes, quick notes. Um, But this is a real treat. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks, Dana. Okay. I hope you learned a lot from this conversation. Um, Insert some more puns about being lit or lit up or illuminated. Man, Lighting puns are really just, they're too easy. I digress. Next week is a special one. Next week I will be doing a special year-end wrap-up episode where I will recap all of the things that I've learned from a year of weekly podcasting. And yes, some of my favorite standout moments from 2020. Of which there are several, by the way, despite the best efforts of this damn pandemic. <laughs> this damn damn, damn damn-demic? Pandemic? <laughs> so be on the lookout for next week's episode. And also, the Words That Move Me t-shirt collaboration with Getting Unlocked is up for grabs at thedanawilson.com slash shop along with stickers and shoe bags and some pretty sweet and very useful digital downloadable materials just in time for your holiday gift giving season and a new year and a new you with new podcast merch. (laughs) Um, If you don't, plan on spending any money on the online store, however, you can still get a t-shirt because we're having an Instagram giveaway contest. And you have until December 31st to enter. There are no limits on entries. We want everybody to have a chance to rock this t-shirt. It says, I welcome your differences on it. And I do. I cannot tell you enough how good I feel when I wear this shirt. I step forward into the world with curiosity and compassion and conversations and a (laughs) wow I'm really going off aren't I I think the shirt is great I think you will too also it's super soft so super soft shirt super strong message get into the contest head on over to our Instagram page which is words that move me podcast to get an eyeful and an earful what would you say to get an eyeful well, that's just where you'll find all of the contest terms and rules and guidelines and so forth. All right, everybody. That's it from me. I think that's it from me. I'm pretty sure that's it from me. Oh, yes. Be sure to subscribe and download episodes if you're digging the pod and be super sure to keep it funky. Have a great day everybody. I'll talk to you soon. Bye thought you were done? No. Now I'm here to remind you that all of the important people, places, and things mentioned in this episode can be found on my website, thedanawilson.com slash podcast. Finally, and most importantly, now you have a way to become a Words That Move Me member. So kickball changeover to patreon.com slash wtmmpodcast to learn more and join. All right, everybody. Now I'm really done. Thanks so much for listening. I'll talk to you soon.